At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome on The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We're also joined by a special guest tonight in Connor Newcomb, the host of Locked On Orioles. We're going to have a lot to talk about tonight as we're going to preview the MLB trade deadline, see what moves the Orioles might or might not make before tomorrow night's deadline. We'll also talk about Dylan Beaver's hot July and get into some big news down in the minor leagues. But first, we have one or two new members to welcome to our Patreon community. We always like to shout this out at the top of each episode. And with that, I will turn it over to Bob. Oops. Yep. I was so focused on trades. Let me uh, buy some time to bring up the Patreon. Okay, here we go. So, yeah, we have a couple new ones. We have Jake Razik, and actually that is the only one. So thank you, Jake. You signed up for a year up front at the AA level. We really appreciate it and hope you enjoy the, the content. Yeah, thank you, Jake, for your support. And I want to introduce tonight's guest. He is the host of Locked On Warriors Pod of part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We've had him on this show many times, and we're happy to have him back on. He is Connor Newcomb. Connor, how have you been doing? I have been doing great. You know, I am just, I, I'm I'm holed away in this little bunker right here. Um, I've just been making mock trades for 24 hours. I haven't slept. Um, I haven't eaten. It's just mock trades. What's been the best simulator trade you've pulled off so far? Um, I'm thinking if we can throw together Keegan Aiken and Austin Voth, that maybe the Tigers will budge on Eduardo Rodriguez. We're starting to move that way. Well, Keegan Aiken, he'll be back soon. He got off to a great start in his rehab today, so I, I like it. <laughs> and we'll have plenty of more trade coverage in a little bit, but we want to congratulate Samuel Basayo for his well-earned promotion to Aberdeen after an excellent run at Del Marva in which he batted 299 with a 150 WRC plus across 152 plate appearances. In that span, he also belted 12 home runs and posted a walk rate 
just above 11% while striking out about 20% of the time with the Swordbirds. Along the way, Bisayo also became noticed more and more by national outlets, uh, now becoming something of a consensus top 100 prospect in the game, not just for what he does at the plate, but for his work on defense, including an excellent throwing arm. So, Nick, I'll start with you on this one. We have been saying off and on over the course of the summer, it's not a bad thing if Basayo spends all year in Del Mar, but because he is only 18, he plays a demanding position. But at the same time, the numbers clearly warrant a promotion to Aberdeen. And he looks, basically got to the point where he looks like a man amongst boys at Del Marva. Yeah, I think it just got to a point where you got to challenge him uh, at this point. I mean, he, June, OPS of 954. In the month of July, that OPS is over 1,000 this month. Um, like a, a 150 WRC plus for a catcher. I get it's low A, but he's also an 18-year-old catcher. And actually, like, Basayo has not faced, he has not had one single plate appearance all year against a pitcher younger than him. Uh, so still facing much older competition all year. It's it's cool that he gets moved up. Silas Arduin gets moved up to double A, you know, defensive guy, the the walk god. I think he had four walks in his last game there for Aberdeen, but it's kind of what we've been saying. Get Arduin up to double A, get Basayo up to high A, get Anudis Mordon up to Del Marva, and uh, it's it's rolling with these catchers. You know, it's it's good to see. Good accomplishment for Basayo. Doesn't turn 19 for a couple more weeks, too. So Still just an 18-year-old teenager. Yeah, I think this we heard all we knew the raw power was there, but you went defensively, 33% caught stealing rate on the year behind the plates. Great arm. He steals a lot of strikes. If you watch him work behind the plate, a lot of strikes he's stealing. And I think I mentioned in just us texting um like a last week or something, I, I made the comment that you can see like the the immaturity at the plate, not his personality, but just you know, he's he's an 18-year-old kid learning the game. Uh, and that's kind of scary that you put up those numbers and he has those nights where it's like you could tell he's still got some stuff to learn, stuff to hone in on, but no denying what he did uh, down there in Delmarva. Yeah, I'm glad he's getting a chance to uh, get some attention today, you know, going up because there's a lot going on with the trade deadline. But I really think Samuel Basayo is going to be the Orioles' first international superstar from this international class, bringing Kobe Perez in once Michael Elias took over. I think he's going to be a top 10, 15 prospect in baseball this time next year, if not sooner. The trajectory is just unbelievable. In April and May, again, he's 18, so these numbers are already fantastic. 294 batting average, 801 OPS, 166 ISO, 125 WRC+, walked 6% of the time, struck out 21.5% of the time. That's great for an 18-year-old, first time to full season ball, cold weather, the daily grind. Well, June, July, he, he heated up with the weather. He batted 303 with a 978 OPS, 248 ISO, 175 WRC plus, walked 17% of the time, struck out under 20% of the time. So just the fact that he, he already has the easiest, like craziest power we've seen. He goes a foul off a pitch and hits it out down the left field line. If he gets a hold of one, it's going over 450 feet and he's 18 years old. So as he continues to grow in strength, maturity, He's clearly buying into the swing decisions. You go from 6% walk rate first two months to 17 the next two. Um, Got to love it. I love that he's getting challenged, and he'll be in a, a more pitcher's park. Not, and actually, Delmarva in low A is, I think, even more pitcher-friendly than, than Aberdeen. I think we've learned that. But, yeah, it'll be a, a nice challenge. And can you believe, if he does decently at all these last couple months, he could be 19 years old starting catcher in double-A Bowie next year at a – 
out of uh, spring training, and I think he's untouchable. I don't think he's going anywhere this trade deadline. Yeah, I could I could see him being in that that untouchable group just because of the promise, because he's still a teenager. But I will say, from like a major league perspective, I mean, it's hard to not think about what it could be when he gets here. Now, because he's a catcher, those guys generally aren't going to shoot up systems as much as a guy like Gunnar Henderson would. Like, I think there, it's less likely he has a Henderson type year next year, just because they want to work on the defense more so than any other position. But when you think about the 2025 Orioles and think about how much James McCann starts behind the plate right now, basically once to twice a week, if that's all you're asking Basayo to do, but then he's going to DH a little bit and play a little bit of first base, having that kind of bat behind Rutschman, because it's great to have a good defensive catcher behind Adley, but for two years, it's been a guy who can't hit at all. And, and that's okay because McCann's been better than Chirinos behind the plate, but if you can get Pasayo, if you can flip it to be, hey, he'll be an average defensive catcher with a good arm and a great bat, I mean, that just gives you so much more flexibility on the roster. Yeah, if you could have Adley start 100 games a catcher, and then you have a guy like Pasayo who can catch 50, 55 when he needs a day off, but also be in the everyday lineup at first base, DH. I even think he could play some corner outfield. He's athletic enough, as long as he doesn't grow too much the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, just an absolute weapon to have same with similar to Creed Willems, who is a catcher, obviously, but can play first base DH if the bat develops enough. Speaking of Creed Willems, how much fun is it going to be to have those two back in the same lineup again? Yeah, I got to get to a game in the next week or two when they're home. With that, now we'll turn our attention to the trade deadline. So far as the deadline approaches on Tuesday night, the Orioles have made one move, picking up reliever Centauro Foods and Nami in exchange for Easton Lucas from the Oakland A's. The expectation is that the Orioles will make another move as a buyer to somehow bolster their pitching staff, which, while the Orioles are contending and in first place in the American League East, is an area of the roster that I think everyone agrees could use a little bit of help, especially now that Tyler Wells, who over the first few months of the season, was one of the Orioles' more dependable struggles with just ops in the buoy amid some uh, really short starts back-to-back-to-back. So... There seems to be an opening in the rotation, but also in some roads to improving the middle of the bullpen. Connor, I'll start with you on this one. We know that pitching is probably going to be the biggest priority. How do you think the Orioles are actually going to address it? I think this changed a lot on Saturday night. I just think they were holding out hope that Wells, you know, wasn't going to snap his fingers and go six innings, two runs like he had all the first half. But for him to get knocked out the third inning of that game, you went from, okay, you know, we're a little shaky with Wells, but we have Cole Irvin. You know, he can be the fifth starter. We can rest Wells a bit to, we need to send Wells down to the minors and we don't know when we can bring him back. And right now, if you don't make a deal, yes, you have Cole Irvin. And yes, you can easily slide him into your fifth starter spot. But I talked about this on today, Monday's episode of the podcast. It's like your sixth and seventh options now are legitimately Bruce Zimmerman and Drew Rahm. And I don't think the Orioles want to be there with a lot of starters getting to the point where, you know, they may need to be skipped once or may need to limit their innings just a little bit. I don't think they're going to shut anybody else down, but it could get to a point where they want to skip somebody. They want to give somebody a couple days off. And so I really do think that the Orioles were probably okay with just bolstering the bullpen with one more move. But this Wells situation, I think at the very least, even if you go get like a Rich Hill type just a guy who can pitch for you in the five spot down the stretch. You have to at least get that because Cole Irvin can be Rich Hill. He can be better. 
but you need somebody behind that because if anything else happens to any of the other starters, I do not think Elias and Hyde are ready to throw Zimmerman or Rom out there every fifth day. Okay, um, no, and you're hoping that you know John Means was back earlier, right? But we don't know how much we're going to get from John Means this year. Maybe like two, three inning stints from him down the stretch. DL Hall, we still don't know what the plan is for DL Hall. Um, hopefully, ideally, he's a, a guy that you can add into the late innings of this bullpen um, down the stretch. If that velo, looks like the velo is coming back, which is a good sign, but again, it's it's DL Hall. So at this point, um, I don't know if I want to get my hopes up there. Um, but yeah, like like you mentioned, if anyone else goes down, we don't. Grayson Rodriguez is pitching as as well as he has all year. Um, he's looking more and more comfortable out there on the mound. But I'm afraid, like, is he going to hit that wall? Right. Is Braddish going to hit that wall? And then even this bullpen, like you got to go out and get bullpen pieces. For me, this this is the thing. The first the top priority for me is the bullpen, because you've got the issues there with Baker and Perez. Like, we don't know if you're going to get good versions of these guys or they're going to walk four guys and give up a grand slam. We just don't know. Um, and honestly, like you, you, you see the issues with Cano, right? The discussion with Kevin Brown and Ben McDonald had of maybe there's a lower arm slot because of the fatigue. And then I know. Ben Palmer over at Pitcher List, former one time, you know, co-host of the show, he said he was diving through everything. I was like, I, I can't figure out what's wrong with Cano. You know, is it fatigue or is it just the league figuring him out? And you got the Batista last year. I know that's probably got to be on some people's mind as well. Like he hit the wall last year, his first full, his first year in the big league. So you don't want him to hit a wall uh, as we go down the stretch. So it's it's got to be the bullpen first and foremost, and the starting pitching depth. You know, it's at this point, it's like what options are are truly available for for the Orioles? We're seeing Aaron Savali go. We're seeing all these other top options go. It's like all right, Eduardo Rodriguez is there. Maybe maybe the Mariners. They just traded Paul Seawald before we came on a little bit before we came on. Maybe the Mariners. They're also selling some other pieces, some other bats. Maybe the Orioles come up and, and pull off a big deal with them for you know George Kirby or someone in that rotation. But yeah, it's it's. It's pitching. We all know it's pitching. It's just a matter of uh, who's going to budge. Like, are the prices going to come down, or is Elias going to reach? Is he going to pay up a little bit more? And uh, you know, we got a little less than twenty-four hours now to find out uh, what's going to happen. Yeah, I'll I'll be shocked if the Orioles don't do anything by the deadline. At least get a bullpen piece or two. I think they're going to come away away with a starter as well, and I think it'll probably be probably be something that no one's been talking a ton about. So I know the Seattle is an option. I know the Rays said they were talking to Seattle or someone said the Rays were talking to Seattle about their starters before they switched gears to Savali. Is that because the Orioles are working on something for one of those pitchers? Hopefully. Um, I would love to get a Logan Gilbert, a who's the guy that was in the all-star game this year for them. George Kirby or Luis Castillo. George Kirby, probably a little too expensive, but get one of those guys or even Bryce Miller or Brian Wu. I know they're young and probably have innings limits as well, but I, those are some super talented arms and they'd probably be a little bit cheaper. Get one of them. Verlander, pipe dream, probably just because of the money situation. And does he want to come to the Orioles when he could go to the Dodgers or back to the Astros? Who knows? Uh, you got the Detroit, you got Michael Lorenzen, Eduardo Rodriguez. They got some good relievers there as well. So I, I think there's options and even wouldn't be shocked if they came away with, I know Zach mentioned Mitch Keller an episode or two ago. I just think there is probably going to be an option that is not on the tip of everyone's tongues at the moment. Maybe you can convince 
the Padres to sell Blake Snell. I don't know. But I got to think Michael Ice is working his magic. I don't think he's going to be uh, selling this trade deadline like he did last year. And it would be a really bad look to just sit on your hands. So at least improve the bullpen in order to shorten games as down the stretch. So, yeah. Yeah, there, we were actually just talking about something before we came on the show, and I think it's worth bringing up because Bob mentioning it could be somebody that we're not expecting, and I think that it is possible. We know that this nothing really leaks out of the warehouse under Michael Elias. So you find out, you know, reports linking the Orioles to Dylan Carlson. What we were speculating before we came on the air was, did they inquire about Dylan Carlson and already move on, or they inquired about a trade with the Cardinals that involves Carlson and have already moved on because it seems like if they were actively working on it, it wouldn't leak out. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and, and it was good that you brought that up because that could be the same thing with Michael Lorenzen. You know, probably the pitcher we've seen connected to the Orioles with not like a John Morosi-style report, but an actual report has been Michael Lorenzen. And you don't see anything coming out of this front office. So there's two ways it could go. Either you can guarantee that Lorenzen's going to be the guy or they had long discussions with Lorenzen and the Tigers price was too high. And there's been a good point brought up to me a couple of times that, you know, Lorenzen's been a reliever for a long time. He would fall right in with the rest of these Orioles starters where, yeah, he's been pretty good this year. He was the Tigers all-star, but he's about to hit that number that he's never surpassed innings wise. So he could just fall right in line with the rest of these guys would still help to get him right. Cause you get another arm in there, you get some depth, you can move him to the bullpen. He's done that before, but maybe it's the same thing for him where it's like, it's coming out because it's already passed by and maybe there is a name, you know, that hasn't even been brought up and connected with the Orioles. I am holding out some hope because we haven't seen anyone connect Carlos Hernandez to the Orioles, which tells me that maybe they are in the works right now. And everyone was freaking out a little bit when Rich Hill was connected to the Orioles. I was like, Oh, they mentioned us in the same breath. That means <laughs> it's not happening. Great. So I just want to throw this out there about Ritz Hill. I saw him pitch a game last year against Kyle Bradis, and I had much better seats than usual. And his fastball could not break glass that day, but he threw his pitches wherever he wanted. One thing I do want to clue people in on in case they don't already know, Ritz Hill grunts on every pitch, and you can audibly hear it if you're sitting behind home plate. So this is something to keep an eye on if Ritz Hill is the guy. Yeah, unfortunate part about Hill is um... – while he's been serviceable for a couple of years, this year it has really taken a hit. And I think not a lot of people realize because the Pirates have kind of fallen out of it. But all the peripherals, which were kind of okay for a while, like the baseball savant page is now all in the blue. He's not getting as many swings and misses. He's not striking out as many hitters. He's getting hit harder. I think the end is near for him. So maybe cross him off the board too. Yeah, um, he was pitching. I don't know who they were playing the other day, but I had the game Pirates game on, um, and Rich Hill was pitching. And uh, my wife walked in and said, "God, he's old." Um, <laughs> so if, if that says anything, um, yeah, the, the Rich Hill is the Rich Hill trade. Like, I get it; it doesn't make sense because you're not you don't want him to go out every five days, and like we need this win from Rich Hill. But like Connor was saying earlier, it'd be more ideal if you know, the Orioles had a bigger cushion and you feel a lot more comfortable saying, all right, Rich Hill can go out every five days. Let's give, skip a start for Bradish, skip Grayson, give these guys extra rest. If you had the bigger lead, honestly, you feel more comfortable sending Drew Rom out there saying, hey, Rom, go out there and do it. You know, we don't know if Rom's a piece to the future, but you can help out this organization this year by helping us extend the life of this rotation as we go into the playoffs. And 
you know, if he gets DFA'd or something at the end of the year to remove him from the 40-man roster, then, you know, the Orioles say, we, this is what we wanted out of you. We got what you needed out of Raman. We're going to move on, whatever. But I, I just think the Rich Hill, training for Rich Hill would be kind of like, you know, signing the the old Felix Hernandez type pitchers right before the spring training starts. It's like, if we're going to make a deal and trade guys, and maybe you can get Rich Hill for like some DSL prospects. In that case, that's fine. I'm all for that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I mentioned last week when we talked about the major league roster, that race series just changed things for me. Like it clicked for me. Like this is a playoff team. Th- this is different. Right. And then watching that game Sunday night, specifically against the the Yankees, it was like maybe national broadcast in front of America. And the, you get out to that seven, nothing first inning lead, but you take a season series against the Yankees. And now like two weeks ago, I would have been like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Propose to trade to me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to trade that guy. I was one of those people. I'm not going to lie. But now I'm like, I'm willing to give up a lot more than I was two weeks ago. And I do want to see this team be aggressive because this team can win it. This team can win it all. I hate to quote John Smoltz, but John Smoltz said on Glenn Clark Radio, right? <laughs> it was like this morning or yesterday. He said, this team can win the World Series. This team can win the World Series. And I just, I don't want to see them go the Rich Hill route at this point. Yeah, the vibes are immaculate. So <laughs> we're going to, we got a real shot if, if and when we get in there. I really do think this group is really strong. And I think clubhouse chemistry is a uh, very, obviously you can't quantify it, but I think it's a serious reason that teams overperform. And I think that's what's going on last year and now this year. So, yeah, and I'm definitely willing to move guys. I have my untouchables who are Jackson Holiday, Samuel Basayo, Kobe Mayo, and then would hate to trade Kowser, Kerstad, or Joey Ortiz personally, but in the right deal, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But I, I don't think anything has happened so far where I'm like, oh man, I would have easily traded Kerstad for so-and-so. Who was the guy that went to the Rays? Uh, Dylan Cease. I would have traded Kerstad for Dylan Cease. I don't know that I would, but I would in the right opportunity, like with a trade with Seattle or or something like that. So yeah, we got to get something done. We got, the, we got the pieces to trade for anyone we want to. So let's let's trade for somebody. Bob actually has some proposed trades for us, um, and we're going to go to those in a few minutes. But I want to throw this out. It, it feels like it's probably an either-or proposition that the Orioles go out and they take the route that the Astros took at multiple trade deadlines where they get a pitcher that has multiple years of team control, and they pay a little bit more to get that guy. So that could be a Dylan Cease, a Mitz Keller, one of the pitchers from Seattle would fit that bill. Or they go the rental route. They don't have to go as much in the way of prospects. And they basically stabilize the rotation going into the playoffs and wait for the big decision on the rotation. Which route seems more realistic at this point? It's it's tough because, you know, when you think about it, when you get to the postseason, and I think this Orioles team – I mean, it would take a real collapse here to not go to the playoffs. I mean, they got about 90% odds on fan graphs and baseball reference. You don't need five starters, right? Like the guy you would trade for right now, like if it was Rich Hill, I, I throw that out there because he's a guy who you know is going to pitch every five days, you know is going to give you five innings. Now, how good are those five innings going to be? You never really know. You can just keep him off the postseason roster when you get there. He just helps you get there. And I think the Tyler Wells thing means they need to have somebody help him get there. But it would also be nice, you know, if it was Michael Lorenzen, 
you know, someone like that where you knew, hey, you're our five starter, but we get to the postseason, go to the bullpen. Like stuff ticks up, be the pitcher you were at times with the Reds. It's tough. And I don't know if they can even make the decision because we're coming down to the point where it's like they just got to get somebody. Yeah, unless you want uh, Chase McDermott <laughs> making his major league debut over the next couple months or Justin Armbrust or someone like that, if you absolutely need to. I doubt they want to put them on the 40-man right now, but I guess that is like a break glass in case of emergency option. I don't know. I, I think this organization is trying, first and foremost, to get that guy with control at the best price possible, but prices are, ex- I don't want to say extremely high, but... And they're high right now. You know, Kyle Manzardo for Aaron Savali might be, a, you know, that was decent price, right? Um, I think they are going to push this to the deadline, regardless of what decision they go. I think they're going to see it's going to be 610, and you're still going to see stuff start trickling out. And it could be the Orioles at 610, 615. We're not done yet. Here it is. It's finalized now. Um, you know, it's, it's, I imagine this organization is trying to get the guy with multiple years of control, or at least a couple, you know, two years of control, first and foremost. And then as we get closer and closer, when those other teams aren't budging, then maybe you call up Pittsburgh and say, all right, Rich Hill, what do you want for him? Right. What DSL kids do you want for Rich Hill? Let's, let's make this deal happen because I I do agree. You need something. Um, You you don't want to, I think, I don't know if you made this point earlier, Joe, or it was you on your episode or on Twitter, Connor, but you made this point as well. It's like you look down at the AAA roster and who else is there that you're going to trust to go out there and, Maybe not a must-win play, not a must-win game down the stretch, but you need somebody to keep you close at least for this game, right? It's this division is going to come down to the wire. The Yankees are in last place; they're still five games above 500. It's going to come down to the wire, so you need someone that's you know, been there before that can give you something. So, yeah, maybe negotiate for some big trade for a pitcher with control down to the wire, but just have that team on speed dial where you can say, "All right, we can do this real quick and and grab an arm." So, Bob, um, I know you've got some proposed trades or some hypothetical trades that you want to bring up. So what do you have for us? Yeah, you know, there's this website out there that is just concrete. It's it's so realistic, you wouldn't believe it. TradeValueSimulator.com uh, or whatever it's called. No, uh, I just use it as a baseline. Just some examples of, I guess, what could cost. But uh, Logan Gilbert for the Seattle Mariners, I think he's got three years of control left after this year going to hit arbitration but it just locks out two or three starter for the next three years at least um he's got a value of 72.6 and uh i got the orioles giving up colton Kowser, jordan westberg ramon urias and ryan mountcastle i think the the mariners want to continue to contend uh for a spot this season in the playoffs but they need offense in a bad way and i think they have it's pretty uh, absurd to say you have too much pitching and you can afford to do this, but I think that's the situation they're in because they still have Emerson Hancock in the minors and they seem to have a good pitching development. But if you don't want to go the expensive route for a Logan Gilbert, I think Bryce Miller and Brian Wu are both valued similarly. Uh, Miller around 22, 23 and Brian Wu 25. I shifted down to Mountcastle Urias and Connor Norby. So they still get some, offense now and a prospect in Norby who could come up immediately or next year. What do you, what do you guys think of those? Yeah, I'll start with the, the Gilbert one. I actually would say no to that trade. And the reason why I think you're giving up too much from your current major league roster. 
Now, even if you traded in one of those guys for even a Heston Kerstad, who you could argue, you know, you wouldn't do a Heston Kerstad for Ryan Mountcastle because that's way more value. But even if it was a Heston Kerstad for a Jordan Westberg or a Colton Kowser, at least you can say, hey, this is not a guy who's on our major league team. And you can make a strong argument that Heston Kerstad is not going to be in the big leagues this year with the Orioles. So you could sell that and say, hey, we know we're giving up a guy who's not going to help us try to win the World Series this year. But for four players on the big league roster and four guys who contribute, especially as Mountcastle starts to swing it a little better, it would be tough. The second trade, though, I'm driving them to the airport. Like, let's let's do it. You know, I'm already expecting Connor Norby to be involved in any kind of trade that gets them solid value back. So I would 100 percent do the second one. What what was that trade again? Kowser. Yeah. Which one? That the second one. It was uh Mountcastle, Ramon Arias, and Connor Norby for Brian Wu yeah. or Bryce Miller. They're about the same value. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I think the interesting one is Connor Norby, and I, I like that comment. I don't know what you guys think though, but is Connor Norby I know we all have our biases, right? We're Orioles fans first and foremost. We have our biases. We, of course, we're going to overvalue you know prospects and our own guys in some ways, and some maybe not so much, but some yes. Connor Norby, though, and tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like there are some organizations out there who could place a, a value on Connor Norby that we don't that we think is way too high. Maybe like other teams are going to value Norby much higher than probably a lot of Orioles fans do, just because I mean he's he's been playing extremely well over the last month or two. He's got that pop. I, I know I saw like the Brian Dozier comp placed on him, right? On, on social media. Like, but this is a guy who got to follow him. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, this is a bad example. But, um, <laughs> like, if you look at the Orioles roster, you know, you say, where does Connor Norby fit at the major league roster, right? We just talked about him last week, and I'm like, the Orioles don't have to make a move with him until the end of next year. They could keep him in AAA all year next year if they need to. You know, yeah, he could play. He's stuck at second base, maybe a little bit of outfield, but Westberg is second base outfield, and Westberg can play third and can play short. Taron Vavra, I'd, I'd, I'd probably place Norby ahead of Vavra, but Taron Vavra is kind of in that same kind of mold without the power. But I just don't see like where Connor Norby can kind of break through. And so I wonder if, as Orioles fans, we kind of look at him and say, like, look at his value a little bit lower than maybe what it is. Do you, do we think Connor Norby has maybe more value? It may not be a headliner but he can be a major push towards a, a big trade for a starting pitcher. It's very Absolutely. Possible. For the right team. Ahead, yeah, I think for the right team, he absolutely would be. We were talking last week about how Cesar Prieto could probably be the starting second baseman on most bad teams in the major leagues right now and actually be an upgrade over who they have. Norby could be maybe in the short term not a significant upgrade, but long term a 20 to 25 home run bat who's going to probably hit 260 to 270 in a good year. Teams will take that at second base. And I think that the Orioles in a different situation would gladly take that. It's just that they have built up this stack of infielders, most of whom have more versatility than Norby. And I think that's kind of where the limitation is in terms of the Orioles valuation. There is also, you know, the role that the left field wall plays in this, but I don't think that's as significant as the versatility factor. The Orioles only see Norby as a second baseman, and they're comparing him to Jordan Westberg, who can play a pretty solid third and be, you know, a shortstop in case of emergency. They're playing Joey Ortiz. You have Joey Ortiz, who could be an elite defender on either side of the bag. And then you, you know, if someone does break through at shortstop, Jackson Holiday might end up at second base. 
So Norby doesn't quite fit into the equation as well for the Orioles, but for someone else, that's their future starting second baseman. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, that's another thing we, we have to consider is some of the, um, these teams have their own evaluation systems. So one team might think Norby's our 12th best prospect. Another one might think he's our fourth or fifth and, you know, would die to get him. So we just don't know how these teams are evaluated, but, yeah, all we can go by is this trade simulator.com. So um, <laughs> to defend myself at the Logan Gilbert trade, I know it is a lot of talent that is currently on the team, but I feel like, to me, Heston Kersad is going to be Gunnar Henderson this year and come up at the end of August, early September. You can bring Joey Ortiz up to replace Westberg. Daz Cameron can come up and hold over until Cedric Mullins come off, comes off the IL. But, yeah, I think I would actually mm-hmm. uh, prefer – the lesser of the two, you can make that big trade like that in the off season where you really could sign free agents to fill holes and, and come into a season knowing what to expect. But uh, another trade I had here is Justin Verlander and what is it? Luke Rayleigh coming over left-handed reliever. Doesn't seem like a great person, but can get some guys out. Uh, this was a tough one to do just because they have Verlander at minus 11 value, but we know the Mets will try to buy some prospects and pitch in money. Don't know exactly how much. So I said something like Drew Rahm, Kyle Stowers, Taron Vavra for uh, those two. That, yeah, I mean, that would be an easy deal to make. But the issue is, in that scenario, if you're only giving up that for Justin Verlander and Brooks Raley, that means you're paying all of Verlander's contract. And you know who's not doing that? One, John Angelos, is absolutely not paying all of Verlander's contract. What are so, you talking about? <laughs> Michael, I said he has the go-ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, could the Orioles do that if Cohen ate some of the money? Yes, but as you talked about buying a prospect, you know Steve Cohen. To trade Justin Verlander, he st- says he still wants to compete. I mean, Justin Verlander helps you compete in 2024. They're going to need like a dude to get rid of Verlander and uh, the Astros are apparently the latest reports are like in deep talks to get him back right now. Um, Yeah. I just, I mean, I would do that trade in a heartbeat, but it probably means that the O's are taking on all of the salary for both guys. And John Angelos would spit in Michael Ice's face if he came to him with that proposal. So, yeah, I mean, that was a tough one to do, but Luis De Leon only pitched one inning in Delmarva the other day, and you know they just got some low, low uh, young guys for Scherzer. So who knows? I'll say my other two are a little bit smaller. I'll just say them: um, the Tigers. Let's say we get Eduardo Rodriguez and is it James Foley? <laughs> that seems like a, a wrestler, right? Uh, Jason Foley, Foley. <laughs> the reliever. Um, that's a combined value around. Uh, 23 and a half. I went with uh, Connor Norby, of course, going over. He's worth almost nine. And then Austin Hayes at 16. I don't know. Maybe that's a guy. Tigers could use some offense. You know, he's, he'll be great in the first half for them next year, next couple of years. And, uh, you know, the Orioles can make room for some of their, their outfielders. And then a smaller one, I say, you know, something similar to the Rockies. I have no idea what the Rockies would want just because they're the Rockies, but I'd love to get uh, Justin Lawrence and Brent Suter from them. A couple of relievers that could uh, help the Orioles out. I would do that first trade is interesting because talking to Tigers people, I've been talking to a lot of people who cover the Tigers over the past week or so, just kind of get a gauge of what they're looking for. 
because some of their trades have looked very differently. Like I proposed the Michael Lorenzen, Jose Cisnero trade where it's pro I, I proposed Stowers, Vavra, and it probably would take like another prospect now that we've seen the value of some of these guys. But I did that because that feels so much like the Gregory Soto deal that they did last year with the Phillies, where they got Matt Veerling and uh, Nick Maton, who were basically two like bench utility guys who helped the Phillies off the bench get to the World Series, but were never going to be starters for the Phillies. Now, Stowers and Vavra are probably a little step below that because they've taken steps back this year. But those are very similar players where it's like they could be major leaguers right now. They're just buried on the bench of a good offense. And that's why I did that kind of trade. So something like that, you know, they're looking for bats. The Tigers are looking for bats. Their offense is abysmal, and they're looking for bats who are somewhat close to the big leagues. A, a trade around Hayes is is real interesting, and I know that the Tigers are, are interested in Connor Norby, so that's that's what I would do, I think, to get Erod and to get Foley, especially with the amount of team control that he has. I think it would take more just because Foley's team controlled, but I, I would definitely do that one. Yeah, and very interesting that John Morosi did tweet three minutes ago, the Orioles and Tigers have been talking. Uh, Baltimore system heavy on hitters at the top levels matches up well with Detroit, which is looking at offense. Another uh, great report from John Morosi. <laughs> just the amount of insight he gives is just incredible. He, he is winning the day on Twitter. Um, it's tough but, to balance his hockey takes and his baseball takes. Though. Yeah. God. Um, yeah, I... I would do that because the the fully like you mentioned the team control like Eduardo Rodriguez has what the player opt out at the end of this year so I know that's been a discussion a lot of people have had like how much do you want to give up for Eduardo Rodriguez knowing that he could just opt out and leave so he would be a rental but regardless if he walks or not to still have fully in the bullpen I'm down with that honestly like Hayes Hayes is you know I mean he's an all star he led the American League batting average for a period there it was great to see. But at the same time, it's like if you move him out of the outfield, you can bring up Kerstad. Um, and and I think Kerstad, the big thing with Kerstad is he's not swinging and missing a ton at double A. He's not doing a triple A either. So I, I think you can get him up here for a solid month or so before the playoffs start, get him acclimated. I know you don't want all, a lineup full of rookies going into the playoffs, but I think Kerstad could fill in fairly well, especially if Hayes is going to continue to not produce. And yeah, like any trade involving. I hate saying this because we've had Norby on the show. He is a great player. I, I love the guy, but I just don't see that. You got Joey Ortiz. You've got Holiday. You've got so many other talents. It would be ideal if the Orioles could land pitching help, solidify the bullpen, solidify the rotation, and the top prospect you trade is Connor Norby. That's that would be the most ideal situation I think right now. And then in the off season, we can go bang. But like right now, that would be that'd be fantastic. Just to shout out Norby real quick, just like last year, he is starting to take off now that we're in the second half. Seems like a guy that just builds momentum throughout a season. So, you know, a good player for wherever he goes. I'll probably end up buying a jersey in whichever team he goes to and never wear it, but just have it hang in my closet for years and years. And, uh, yeah, best of luck to him if that happens. But if he stays, he could finish really strong this year and increase his value going into the offseason as well. When I, you know, when I think about Eduardo Rodriguez, I looked at the pitchers that are slated for free agency today. I looked at that list, and Max Scherzer is no longer on that list. And it's a certainty to me that Eduardo Rodriguez is going to opt out. This season is good enough to get him paid, and it's probably his last chance at a big contract. So I have no doubt that if you acquire Rodriguez, he's going to opt out. He's going to go to the highest bidder, which won't be the Orioles. And you know, you would have to factor that in. Now, if you throw Foley into that deal, it becomes a lot more tempting to me because 
Foley is young, but he threw 60 innings last year. This year, he's taken a big step forward in some areas, including his strikeout numbers. And you've got that year, you've got years of control on him. He's not arbitrated and eligible until after next year, not a free agent until after the 27 season. He could be a piece of your bullpen for a couple of years. And then when he starts to get into that, you know, area that a lot of relievers get into where they're getting close to the end of their initial six years, you feel that volatility creeping in, you flip him. Um, so that that would work out really well for me. I will say that I think it's more realistic that a Stowers or a Vavra go instead of Austin Hayes because trading Austin Hayes when you're winning and pulling him out of that clubhouse just doesn't feel like a great idea. Now, in the offseason, I think it's completely fair game to trade Austin Hayes. I just don't know how that would go over in season. And that's totally fair because, again, like I mentioned earlier, this clubhouse is seems just like a great place to be right now, and you don't want to mess with that at all. So maybe he should just go in the IL for a couple of weeks and rest up a little bit instead. Now, before we completely move on from the trade discussion, a couple of things I want to bring up. We haven't talked about hitters at all um, in this segment. We've been so focused on pitching, and for good reason, because that's clearly where the Orioles need to make an upgrade. But do any of you see a scenario where the Orioles go out and get a bat, even if it's just an extra you know, guy that can give them depth off the bench? Yeah, I, at my prediction show for the trade deadline on Friday, I thought Randall Gritchick might be a, a, a nice little ad for the Orioles because as we're speaking, Colton Kowser just struck out for the third time tonight. He's hitting under a 100. Um, and, you know, I don't think they're going to send him down, but they might want to lessen the load on him. And I'm not so sure Aaron Hicks is going to be back when those 10 days are up. And who knows what's going on with Cedric Mullins right now. Your, you know, depth outfielder on the roster right now is Ryan McKenna, who spent a good chunk of time in the minors. And, oh, yeah, Austin Hayes has been abysmal. Since the All-Star break, you're looking at an outfield where Santander's producing, and that's kind of it right now. You're not getting much. And so even if it's just a guy who you backfill, you know, a cheap rental like Randall Gritchick would have been, of course, he was eventually moved to the Angels, that can just, you know, take either Kowser or McKenna's roster spot for a bit, can give you a little more veteran presence, can at least be a league average hitter for a bit. And then when you get Hicks back, you know, you start to think about what you want to do. And then when you get Mullins back, I mean, that guy could even be DFA'd. You know, it's just a guy who's a you know, very low-level prospect. I thought Gritchick was good because it feels like the Rockies will just do something dumb and you give him a player who's not even good and you can get Gritchick for half a season. And he's killed the Orioles, so why not help the Orioles for a half a year? But other than that, I could see, you know, a rental outfielder. I could have seen Mark Canna being a fit, but he was just dealt to the Cubs, I think, today. Um, you know, there's, there's guys like that where they fit some... I think it's got to be a rental and it would be an outfielder. And I mean, Adam Duvall would be awesome, but I don't think the Red Sox are going to trade him in division. You know, uh, as Brian just put in the comments, Bellinger, they took him off the market. He would have been great to add to this offense. But I do think some sort of rental bat could be kind of helpful right now because I, you know, Kowser's going to figure it out. I don't know when. Is Austin Hayes doing 2022 again? Maybe. And there's still questions about the healthier center fielders. Yeah, that was my thing. Like center fielder, I, I think would be an area that the Orioles are probably looking at because, like, you know, we thought Cedric Mullins was good and was just going to miss a few days after he reaggravated that injury. It was reaggravation, right, or a total new injury. Like, so we don't know if, like, I'm not a doctor, not going to pretend to be, but it's like 
all right, is he good? When exactly is he going to come back? We're not exactly sure. All right. And when he comes back, is there still danger in re-aggravating it a third time? And you have to shut him down. Is this something to be fully healed from? He's going to need surgery and you know months of rest. I, I don't know. So that's, I think, scary because you're going to get to a point where if he re-aggravates it and it's too late, you're not going to be able to find that upgrade and you're going to be stuck with McKenna. Um, and, you know, Kowser, you're talking about the bat, even if the, you know, regardless of the bat defensively, I know people have, you know, talking about Kowser's defense a lot. I think all three of us have been in agreement for years now that Kowser is already like a fringy everyday major league center fielder. Right. So you don't want and having to adjust to the outfield defense at the major league level, as we've seen with numerous outfield prospects, is difficult. Uh, so I think bringing in that center fielder that can give you a reliable bat as well would be uh, not a bad target to have because Hicks's bat hasn't been that great either before he went down with the injury. So being able to shore that up just as insurance, and like Connor said, you can DFA him if you need to, but having that insurance there, I think, would be a nice fit here. Yeah, I could see it as well and it's just like we saw with that uh that cardinals report with um i have baby brain they Dylan, Carl carlson. Dylan carlson um i think you could see like if we trade with seattle for brian Wu, that i think they're also trading Teoscar hernandez maybe you, you grab him if uh the price isn't too steep or something like that just where you get a pitcher and you just to even a trade out a little bit you can grab someone in the outfield that can uh can help you out a little bit down the stretch, even if when everyone's healthy and, and firing on all cylinders, they can go to be a bench player for you in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, I could easily see a position player coming this way. I just don't think it's the focus right now. I don't think they're like targeting a specific one at the moment. Yeah. E- even if it's just like Ramon Laureano, right? Whose bat really isn't there, but you know, he can still play center. He's got a rocket for an arm and he's been around. Like it's not going to cost months to get him from the A's of all people right now. So just to backfill the roster for a little bit, I think would be nice to kind of stretch them to at the very least until Aaron Hicks comes back. And then you kind of reset from there. Yeah. I was just about to bring up Laureano because I had my eye on him early in the season as a possible trade addition, um, thinking that he could be, a guy to spell Austin Hayes in left field because his defense is significantly better than Hayes. His offense has fallen off a cliff since then, but you could probably get him for nothing. And at that rate, who cares if you non-tender him in the offseason? He got you through the last few months. He stabilized things. You didn't give up much to get him. If the Orioles could pull that off, I'd be fine with it. Yeah, it's basically, who do you think is better? The so-so rental or... Daz Cameron. That's kind of where we're at right now because I get the Kerstad thing, right? You know, people say just call up Kerstad. They're not putting him in center field. You need somebody not named Ryan McKenna who you can trust in center. And I think the Orioles trust Kowser enough. Like, you know, he's out there starting again tonight. But as you can tell, you know, even in Sunday's game, you know, they put McKenna in like in the sixth or seventh inning defensively. Like our eyes say it and the numbers say it. You would much prefer McKenna out there defensively in center field. And maybe he can hit a little bit. Like maybe for a little bit, they rest Kowser a bit and they just give McKenna for three or four days the center field spot and see what he does. Like we could even see that, but I would rather bring in a veteran who you know has a higher ceiling as a hitter than Ryan McKenna does. And I like the point that uh, Vivek brought up that Loriano could also, you know, have some offensive upside getting with our hitting coaches. Uh, we've been able to do that a little bit with Aaron Hicks when he first came over and how much is he really, you know, giving a 110% over in Oakland with uh, the seasons that they've had the last couple of years. So yeah, I wouldn't hate that move. And yeah, like you said, maybe McKenna gets a little bit more time here just 
work with Kowser behind the scenes to get his confidence up, get him get him going in the right direction again. We've seen him do this at every single stop, other than when he went from high A Aberdeen to double A Bowie. So not worried long term with Kowser, but yeah, you wanna you don't wanna give him too much time. It's a tough balance. It is. And and if you have Mullins or Hicks, it's not nearly as tough a balance. But with both of them out, they're in a, they're kind of in a tough spot with him right now. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more trade. Sure. I have one more one more trade question before we, we wrap that up. We're gonna end that whole segment there. Um just to throw this out there, y'all's opinion. What if what if this team doesn't get the starter and it's one more smaller bullpen arm? You know, like Vivek had a question there as soon as we started. Who are some under the radar, maybe bullpen options, guys with good peripherals? And I, I know Connor had a tweet out mentioning like Justin Lawrence, um Middleton from the White Sox, and you had another Rockies guy yep. in there. Brent Suter, who's been there. like surprisingly awesome this year. Yeah, what if it's you know one of the just one of those guys, for example, and and no starter, no one else? Are are we satisfied? Do we think this team still has a chance to go deep, or what's what's the thought there? I wouldn't be satisfied for sure, but at the same time, I wouldn't be as upset as I know 95% of uh, Orioles Twitter would be just because I do trust that this organization is out there looking and trying to make something work. But at the same time, I can't really blame them if they say, look, I'm not giving up uh, Heston Kerstad and Joey Ortiz for so-and-so. Um, I think if you want to save those bullets for the off season, when I think you don't have to pay the premium of a buyer at the trade deadline, that's fine. I would be disappointed, but at the same time, I would kind of understand it. Unfortunately, I don't, I think I would be a rarity in that case. Yeah. I mean, after the Wells thing, I think my mindset has changed. You know, I was okay for a while saying, you know what, if they can bolster the pen, they can get Fuji. They can get another guy who's kind of a back end guy who's been good this year. They can shorten games. They can get through with this rotation. When you don't have Tyler Wells and you, you know, in that scenario, Cole Irvin's your fifth starter and you're basically rolling until Wells comes back healthy or John Means gets healthy. Like, I don't think it's going to be D.L. Hall. That is tough. And if anybody goes down before those guys are healthy, it's just big, giant question mark on the end of your rotation. Like, Zimmerman or Rom is getting that shot. And as much as, you know, Zimmerman gave them some great innings last year, and, you know, I think Rom still has something in the tank, I'm not ready to trust either of those guys. So it would be tough. And Bob kind of brought it up briefly. You know, it's a good point to say that, hey, you know, the prices for these starters is way higher now than it's going to be in the offseason. Think about what the Orioles gave up for four years of control of an above average innings eating starting pitcher in Cole Irvin. They gave up Daryl Hernandez, who, yeah, pretty good player. He's having a great year. But like compared to what just rental guys are getting at this deadline, you know that you can get somebody way cheaper with control in the offseason. It's absurd to think about all they had to give up for Cole Irvin, even though he hasn't been that good. Compared to if Cole Irvin was available right now with three and a half years of control and was pitching okay, what he would be worth. So that's a good point. That's a good you know blowback to the, hey, we need to get somebody is you can get somebody in the offseason for much cheaper. But the O's have a chance, you know, kind of bringing it back full circle to what Nick said at the beginning of the show. The O's have a serious, legitimate chance this year. And yes, you can go into the playoffs with four starters, but you can't win this division with Cole Irvin as your fifth starter right now and nobody behind him. You just can't. You win the division, you guarantee home games at the yard, you give yourself probably the number one seed in the American League, you set things up beautifully for a postseason where anything can happen. I just, you, you really, 
you have to do something in terms of starting pitchers. Wells has changed this equation completely. Yeah, that was greatly well said there. And uh, yeah, I can't. I was going to add something to it. Forgot what it was. So uh, I'll just say, good job. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I wouldn't be satisfied with just bolstering the bullpen for all the reasons that Connor said. I do think though that where my expectations are right now is that if they don't go, if you said to me right now, put it all out to get Eduardo Rodriguez for him to leave in free agency or go get a rental who's going to prop up the rotation and hold your chips for the offseason we can get Mitz Keller, I'm taking the, that route. I would rather go that route than to put everything on the line for Eduardo Rodriguez, as great as I know that he can be. But he's not going to be an Oriole uh, on opening day. He's not going to, you know, chances are whatever team acquires him is not going to keep him. So unless it's the Dodgers. So at that rate – you got to think about that a little bit. So I think my where I sort of land right now is I would not be satisfied with the bullpen situation, but I might almost prefer that to overpaying for someone that's going to be gone in two months. Hey, Kyle Bronovich is, is healthy and, and coming back up. We got him out there. Let's get John Means back, D.L. Hall, build him up. We got options uh, next year. Yeah, and – I mean, the way the way I kind of see it now, like I'm at the point where if they can at least like get a Rich Hill type, that's at least like, okay, we're not going to like roll over and die if anyone else has a little bruise or a little injury or gets a little tired. Vivek said it in the comments, like, I hate to bring it up, but like, even if you went, and I know he's been terrible, but <laughs> even if you went and got Jordan Lyles, the Orioles know what works for Jordan Lyles. He's probably cooked. But even if you could get a month out of him where he throws six innings a game, that's better than not getting a starter right now. That's how I see it with the Wells situation. It's not good, but it's slightly better. It's Rich Hill's cool. suddenly looking like a great option. <laughs> and I get that I, I am kind of shooting down Cole Irvin right now because Cole Irvin's better than Rich Hill and Jordan Lyles, right? But we haven't seen it yet. Like we saw it last year and two years ago, but, but we haven't seen it in an Orioles uniform. And I'm concerned that asking him to do it now is like too late. My mind There's the hot blind. take. Let's Jordan Lyles on. is the hot take. <laughs> I do know this though. I pointed out that Ritz Hill grunts when he throws pitches. Nick's wife called him old. If he does get traded to the Orioles, he's not coming on this show. <laughs> uh, I think that one went out the window tonight. Uh, we'll move on now to uh, Dylan Beavers, who had had a phenomenal July in Aberdeen. We had been talking about this off and on over the month, like, oh, Dylan Beavers had a good week. He had a good game the other night. Now we can put the full month into perspective. Over the course of July, he hit 397 with a 691 slugging percentage and as many walks as strikeouts, 16. He also belted four home runs and is now sitting pretty good overall this season with a 270 average, 826 OPS, nine homers, 48 RBIs, and 50 walks to 84 strikeouts. And of course, because he's an Aberdeen Ironbird, he's stealing a lot of bases. He has 20 swipes and 26 attempts. Um, you know, Bob, we have been kind of tracking Beavers over the course of this season. We saw a okay start, a really bad dip in offensive production in the month of May. Then a June that looked a little bit better, but then there were still some concerns like, are the swing adjustments ever going to come around? When are the results going to be there? And in July, they were fully there. 
I'm never doubting the Orioles' uh, player to player development when it comes to hitters again um they give us the biggest projects in the world they'll figure it out yeah i was a little bit down on beavers after the first few months just because and i know that he was more of a a project there was things they needed to work on and i actually went to a game my only game that i went to see uh, the ironbirds he got robbed of a home run over the fence bad luck involved as well but yeah, I mean, he's doing kind of like what Kowser did last year. He's just, they're working with him. He's getting comfortable. And now he looks like the guy that, you know, you took in that was second round or comp round somewhere early in the draft, uh, first round profile f- for some people. And you see why all of a sudden um, the walks, it's just, it's it's a wonderful thing as Orioles fans have been uh known to watch a bunch of free swingers with power that don't walk. Now we're kind of like those Red Sox Yankees teams where every player coming up other than Cesar Prieto is like, they're walking like 15% of the time. So yeah, it's just, it's a great story for this year. And it's to me, it's like the first half of the minor league season is not the end all be all. Look at Joey Ortiz last year, Colton Kowser. Now look at Dylan Beavers. Now Sammy Basayo, like we talked about, just improvement. These players are improving as the year goes on. They're working on stuff. So if someone gets off to a slow start, even if it's a slow two months, uh, there's still time to turn it around and work on things. So yeah, happy for Beavers and uh, happy for us as Orioles fans that have another legitimate outfield prospect on the way up. And I'll add this about Beavers too. And it's, it's one solid month. It got better. It, it did. May was, May was really bad. Like sub 200 batting average, 500 something OPS. It's gone up and up. And now this month of July has just been torching the ball. Still high. A. We'll see how he does against double A competition. I imagine a promotion to double A is in the works sometime soon, hopefully, but see how he does against more advanced pitching. But if they are, are unlocking something here with Beavers and he truly is developing, we've always said the ceiling is enormous with Beavers, right? But the range of outcomes for him is also very wide. But if they're unlocking something there with Beavers, I mean, this is the kind of thing where you could take projects like that and you, you talked about, you know, trusting this player development staff. It puts my mind, and this is where me getting super hyped watching that race series, watching that Yankee series and bringing it back to the trade deadline, it does give me a little bit more comfort in knowing that if – Kerstad or Kowser does get moved at this deadline or they get moved into the offseason. Yeah, it's going to sting. It might hurt a little bit when those guys gets moved, but you've got Dylan Beavers coming up in the wings, right? If he's unlocked something. It's just this perpetual just motion of these top hitting prospects coming up and coming up. It's 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 helping me change my tune across this this whole thing and how I'm looking at this. Because, yeah, like a month ago, I, w- I would not be talking like this. Um, I, I would be the, the hoarder here, but it's shout out to Beavers. Uh, he's definitely turning things around looking so much more comfortable at the plate. I got it. We can call that the elite talent pipeline. <laughs> I just, for Beavers, I mean, he's a guy that I kind of fell in love with at the draft last year. I had Kyle Kishimoto of fan graphs on the show after they drafted him. Cause Kyle was at Cal the same time as Beavers was. And, he was covering the baseball team. He was at all the games, and he just said, "Like, look, the swing is funky, and any team is going to work with it." This is what he said right after the draft. But the data is, you know, the exit velocities, the hard hit percentage, the launch angle, the swing decisions are so so good compared to players that generally have this kind of funk in their game. That you know, he was like, "If a team can work with him, and the Orioles are a team that have worked with a lot of people, 
they can turn this guy into a really, really good hitter. And I think you could tell, you guys have talked about it all year, he was going through the change in the approach in the swing while the season was still going on. Like, you know, you only have so much time in the offseason if you're doing a full overhaul. They were trying things. And yeah, his stats weren't looking great, but it seems like he's settled in to whatever he needs. And at the very least, he looks pretty good out there in the outfield. Um, but I just, I think he's a guy where the Orioles could unlock something. And quite frankly, if they think he's kind of a volatile prospect where it's like, hey, we need to get the swing right here. And if it's right here, this is a major league player. And if it falls any way back towards Cal at any point, we kind of have to reset. I could see him being a guy some point next year where they get him rolling like this again and they deal him for a major leaguer. And they say, we got him at that right spot where it's like, this is where he's dominant. And if he stays like that, great. You know, on another team, he becomes a big leaguer. But there's the thought that maybe he won't because it's been so much swing changing. But I, I really do like what he's done and, and how he's progressed throughout the season. And it seems to be another 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 good high hitter pick by the Orioles. And with that, we'll go into our final segment of the night where we shout out players outside of our top 30 for something they've done recently, whether it has been a good week, a good month, a good game, or just something interesting stat line. We want to point out, and I'm going to start with Nick because – he actually has a whole slate of players in DSL he wants to recognize. Yeah, it's it's short though. Uh, <laughs> but it's yeah, just shout out to the Dominican Summer League did have their All Star game uh, on Sunday morning. The AL squad did win, and Orioles had three representatives. And shout out to them, Fernando Perguero, who's a guy who I know when we do the dailies, it's you know we don't run through the entire DSL rosters, but it's you know, something. I highlight the guys who are standing out and Fernando Perguero. I know when I do them, it's he's highlighting him every single time I do it. Uh, he went one for two with a double and an RBI. He's having a fantastic year down there in the DSL. Luis Vicioso, uh, Jorge Mateo's brother, went one for two, two RBIs, and was game MVP. That was cool to see. And then Jesus Palacios is having a fantastic year as a pitcher. Lots of strikeouts, low walks. That's what we like to see from the DSL kids do a scoreless inning. So shout out to those guys. The AL supremacy is going to continue, obviously, by that DSL score. Um, and then uh, Raul Rangel is my pitcher that I wanted to shout out. And Luis De Leon got pulled that game after one inning, which was, was weird. Um, but Rangel came in in his first start with, or his first appearance with Delmarva this year. Four innings, one run on three hits. He didn't strike anybody out, but he only walked one. Injuries could kind of wrecked him last year. He's been working his way back. I think both teams on this game on Sunday, Delmarva and Kannapolis, were very eager to get on the bus and get home and uh, get a nice little break. So they were swinging at everything. But uh, good to see Ryan Hell throw uh, a couple solid innings there for Delmarva. Him and Chasse both uh, turning things around here by the end of the year. Fun to see the fun to see the young pitchers really stepping up this year. Yeah, I'll go next. I I'm cheating a little bit because Carter Baumler is going to be my pitcher and. He is definitely in our top 50, top 30 area, but just awesome to see, you know, the last couple of weeks you had Kyle Bronovich come back, Brandon Young come back, and now Carter Baumler shows up and pitches a scoreless inning with a strikeout, uh, I think it was, what, today? Uh, so, yeah, just awesome to see him back in the mix, get him and Zach Showalter in that Delmarva rotation before the end of the year, throwing three innings apiece, and uh, that's some, some high upside in some arms there. And Silas Ardwan. We mentioned he's promoted up to double-A Bowie with uh, Bisayo going up to Aberdeen. Just wanted to give him a shout-out. He's striking out way too much, 32% of the time, but he also walks almost 19% of the time, batting 215, 706 OPS, 104 WRC+, plus, but a great defensive catcher, works great with these pitchers. So, you know, shout-out to him. Congrats to getting a double-A. 
Those are all good picks. I'll start with my hitter. I went with Greg Holland in the series last week against Somerset. Colin performed really well, uh, going five for 14th plate with a home run, five walks to three strikeouts. Colin is one of those guys that, unfortunately, we just haven't seen a lot of in the last few years because of injuries. But when he's been healthy, he has just been very good upper-level minor league depth, and he consistently gets on base. The bat has always been solid. So while the health has not always been there for Colin, when he's on the field, he's generally a good contributor, and he certainly showed that last week. And for my pitcher, I'm going with Elise De Leon. I know it was a little weird to see him come out Sunday after this one inning, which he threw 15 pitches. But earlier in the week, he had an excellent outing against Kannapolis, pitching five innings of relief, picking up the win, striking out eight, walking just one, and not giving up a hit. Here's something that I find really interesting about De Leon. Since he got to Delmarva, he has thrown 10 innings, walked four batters in that span with 11 strikeouts. When you look at the walk total, it would seem to be a little bit high, but in fact, his command has gradually seemed to be getting better over the course of the season. If you go back to his last outing at the FCL, which was on July 6th, he's walked his five batters over the last 14 innings while striking out 18, only giving up eight hits and posting a .64 ERA. 20-year-old left-hander, so a lot of room for development still left. Really excited to see what he does the rest of the way. And listen, I came prepared, so I can uh, I, I can jump in here too. I'm, I'm actually going to shout out three guys here. Um, two of them are, are, are short ones. The first one is Maxwell Costas. Um, I know you guys have shouted him out before, but I have to um, advance my narrative um, for Maxwell Costas, who I not only love as an Orioles player, but also know personally. Um, he is just tearing the cover off the ball right now. His OPS is up over 880 now on the season. Um, he's been on kind of a home run binge. And he's still not at the point where he's a prospect that's playing every day. And I worry about that a bit. But with Teeter and T.T. Bowens no longer in Aberdeen, he's at least playing a little bit more between first base. And shout out to him. They're playing him at third. They're playing him in left field. They're finding other ways. Uh, I watched him for multiple seasons. I don't know if he can play those positions, but they're getting him in the lineup by putting him there. Um, so shout out to Maxwell, who's got some great batted ball data and also a great batter's eye um, that I think John Mioli wrote about last offseason. It was one of the best in the Orioles system. Um, I just wanted to shout out Dylan Hyde on the pitching side. He's been pretty good over the last month, but he came in the other day for Aberdeen and did something I don't think I've ever seen before, where he came in with the bases loaded and no outs in the bottom of the 10th inning. Um, up at Jersey Shore this weekend. He threw one pitch. It was a passed ball, and it was a walk-off, and that was his outing. Um, I know that's kind of a negative shout-out for him, but otherwise, he's been pretty good this month. I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, but the last one who I like watching when I turn on Aberdeen is Cameron Weston. The changeup that he throws is like a screwball, and Weston, the last 30 days, so in the month of July, 23 strikeouts to three walks in 17 innings. That pitch is disgusting, and if you know anything about how relievers come into big league bullpens is that they have one tool that they came into the system with, the Orioles give them one more, and they make it to the big leagues. Weston's already got the changeup. That's a guy the Orioles didn't need to teach the pitch to. So if they can find another tool out there for him, you know, a guy out of Mich Michigan got advanced the Big Ten baseball narrative a little bit more, um, but he's been fun to watch this year. Love, love it. And there, and Casas, Casas is the one guy that I don't think we really touch on too much outside of this final segment. And for being a local kid, and you mentioned the numbers, the numbers are kind of ridiculous. 
when he does get to play. And I also noticed, if, if I've seen this correctly, the way he holds the bat, I noticed the other day watching him, is also looks, he's got like that much, I mean, this, for people watching, I mean, he's got like inches separation between his hands. Yep. So when he goes up there hacking, it's like he is literally chopping down a tree with that bat and just cranking balls into the outfield. Um, yeah. I'm becoming a bigger fan with his, and I have always been curious as to like why he's not playing a little bit more. He um he doesn't really have a position. <laughs> um, first base is there. I've watched him a little bit when I see in the box score that he's in the outfielder at third base. I go back to see if he got any chances, and he's looked okay. He's had that little gap in there since his time at Maryland. It feels like it's gotten a little bigger. But actually, a major leaguer who does that is Javi Baez. And I think Baez says it helps him mm-hmm. to not chase as many pitches because it kind of stops his wrists for a little split second where it allows him to check his swing a little bit better. So I'm wondering if that's what Max, why Maxwell does that. I'd have to ask him about that. But it's interesting. It's a very interesting profile because it's all going to be bat. If he continues to advance, it's all going to be bat, right? Like Maxwell, if you're listening, like, you know, it's all going to be bat. But um, I mean, he's hitting the cover off the ball enough to at least be in there every day for Aberdeen at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, echo Mark here, who says, wanted to show some love to Connor. Whenever on the Verge podcast uploads late, I know I can get early morning O's fixed with Locked on Orioles. Appreciate your work. And Connor, as always, we really appreciate having you on and giving you giving us our insight. Uh, can you tell our listeners what you're going to be uh, working on this week over at Locked on Orioles? Yeah, so we'll have full deadline coverage. Uh, you know, I'll be up here at least till the O's game ends and, you know, Looks like Danny Coulomb has forgotten how to throw a strike. Um, but uh, otherwise, you know, I'll be recapping Monday night's game, recapping the whole Toronto series. And, you know, I'll, I'll only wait it out so long for a, you know, a midnight trade. Um, but obviously, you know, Wednesday's episode will have kind of the full recap of what the O's do. And if they really don't do much and if they don't add a starting pitcher, um, probably some some sass coming into your coming into your feeds on Wednesday morning. And let's, it's guaranteed that they'll make a trade as soon as you uh, finish yes. <laughs> recording your, yes. your episode. Uh, I will record tonight, and as soon as I hit stop, uh, Michael Lorenzen will be an Oriole. So just jot that down. Uh, be ready for that one. So record the rant now. Once you yes. get off here, just go record. And yep. yeah. <laughs> stay tuned. Yeah, we enjoy your work as well, Connor. Thanks for coming on. And shout out to Robert Cook, who says it's his 53rd birthday. Happy birthday. You should uh, celebrate by joining our Patreon and uh, it's a great community in there. You'd have a lot of fun. But no, happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Robert. Bob, Nick, and I will be back next Monday, maybe sooner, depending on what happens over the course of this week. Stay tuned. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, at BS on the Birds. We're also over at Facebook and Instagram, so you can check us out there. As Bob mentioned, we do have a Patreon community. You can sign up for as little as $3 a month. And if you want to test it out before you join, you can sign up now for a seven-day free trial. At the 5 and $10 levels, you can also sign up for bonus-exclusive daily content. And I want to plug this. Next Monday, we will reveal our mid-season top 50 update. We're going to have the full show around that. We are working on an extra perk for our patrons. And we'll have the full reports over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com as well. And before and after the reports come up, you should check out Baltimore Sports and Life for all the latest Orioles coverage as well as Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board and join in discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. Thank you again to Connor Newcomb for joining us tonight. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden, and you've been listening to On the Verge. 
That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. Most of us have clothes we've loved for years, but it's harder than ever to find clothing that stands the test of time. So for your summer closet update, shop American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, you can build a wardrobe to be proud of for summers to come. Shop Lifetime Essentials at American-Giant.com and get 20% off with code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code LT23. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.